Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Hey, everyone. So our last episode came in response to one of our listeners requesting a specific topic. And guess what? This one does, too. So you know who you are. Thank you so much for interacting with us and providing this idea. And if you want us to do an episode on something that's near and dear to your heart or something that's a challenge that you're facing, let us know. Or, you know, if you just want to say hi or provide some feedback or whatever, just get in touch with us. Go to indigotogether.com slash contact. Again, that's indigotogether.com slash contact. You know, our, our podcast grows most dramatically through the referrals we get from our listeners, and we truly are reaching a, an ever-increasing audience, but we really want that to continue, and we desperately need your help in that. So tell your friends about this podcast if you appreciate it, and maybe say something nice about us on social media, leave us a five-star review, and write something on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And uh, thank you so much. We are so thrilled to be providing this content for all of you, and we just want to continue making it grow. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. So today we're talking about creating a feedback culture. And, you know, we'll lead off with, you know, what is a feedback culture and why does it matter? Then we'll talk about what an organization can do to foster that feedback culture and what individual leaders can do to foster a feedback culture. So, Ben, uh, what is a feedback culture and why should somebody give a rip? <laughs> yeah. So, first of all, let's just start with feedback itself. And feedback is, you know, hearing about your performance or learning more about your behavior and how it impacts others. And feedback matters. The, the trick is, is that just due to the way we're wired, we aren't always that good as humans, at knowing our strengths and weaknesses. You know, we may think we do, and we, we can ha- kind of have some ideas around it, but there is a, a degree of variance between people in terms of how self-aware they are. And Right. This uh, is like the whole Jahari window, right? Sort of, right? It, we have some items that are known to others, mm-hmm. but not known to us in our life. And if you don't have any feedback, you know, and feedback comes a variety of ways, just like people's body, you know, you get in front of a group of people and they start making disgusted faces, you know, that, oh man, like, <laughs> I have ketchup on my blouse or something. <laughs> or they start, yeah, or they start falling asleep or whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, not having any feedback is like putting a blindfold on and just walking on a crowded highway, right? Mm-hmm. It, you got to have it. Yeah, yeah, especially in new situations, right? So we're, when we're doing something new that's unfamiliar to us, maybe our team, maybe our organization, shoot, maybe even our family, we're going through some something that we haven't done before, uh, this may start to reveal some of your personal weaknesses as a leader. Ouch. Yeah, uh, at a time when it really probably matters, right? Um, and so, you know, part of performing well in those new situations is receiving the feedback that you're that you're getting from those around you, and then actually taking that feedback and adapting as necessary. Right. Um, you know, so there is a formal way in which many organizations do this, right? 
Uh, yeah, the performance review. The Barf. performance review. <laughs> yeah, which, of course, you know, is a mixed bag. And, you know, performance appraisals, performance reviews, those are those annual uh, evaluations that many organizations do on their on every all their employees and so forth, um, talking about what you did well and maybe what you didn't do well that year. Uh, interested listeners should go back and listen to our episode we did a while back titled The Performance Review, More Harm Than Good? Question mark. Uh, so there's a link to that in our show notes. Go check that out. We talk all about performance appraisals. But this is one way in which organizations try to formalize or at least ensure that there is some feedback happening uh, with regard to performance in the workplace. Um, but there's more to that. Right. And, you know, we organizations, we as people that care about human flourishing, um, we want people to grow and develop. You know, a lot of a lot of companies that you know we go into, they just want to buy a perfect one off the shelf. We need <laughs> a new director of IT. We just, where's the perfect one? They have the technical skills, they have the cycle set. Oh, here's a good one. We'll just take that off the shelf. Mm -hmm. But nobody, even if you do find the best one on the shelf, so to speak, um, is perfect. And you've got to develop people if you want to adopt a best practice stance of how to run an organization. Mm -hmm. That's very true. You know, and there's just so much more to feedback than the, the piece of paper or some sort of online performance review system. If we truly want people to develop, if we truly want to help people know what they're doing well and what they need to work on and so forth. Uh, now, some of this stuff around feedback and accepting feedback and creating a feedback or coaching culture runs contrary to what a lot of us think about what I, you know, kind of our natural theories, what we call implicit theories about leadership. You know, so we kind of through our growing up, maybe some of our early career experiences, we developed kind of these ideas around what leaders do, what leadership looks like. That person is a leader. That person isn't a leader and so forth. Uh, and some of what we're going to talk about here today with regard to feedback and coaching uh, kind of runs contrary to that, you know? So for example, some ideas that perhaps I have had at various points through the past couple decades, and they are definitely not what I really think anymore, but some things, some implicit theories I've had that run contrary to uh, some of the stuff around, around feedback include things like leaders must be always decisive, you know, yeah, or, or, or leaders need to always have the final say about something. Leaders are always the people who know everything. It's not really true, right? You know, and this is kind of, you know, the stuff that we see all the time is people say, "This is how I should behave in this situation," or their view of their own way they conduct their lives within an organization or out on the planet isn't very sense and respond. It's more, well, this is the way I am, or I'm being true to myself, or there's a myriad of pop business psychology books that are based on nothing other than a you know, catchy title. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd say most, most of this leaders actually aren't intentional about studying leadership, right? right. Or, or they don't, they're not very purposeful with choosing mentors and those kinds of things um, that would give them a broad perspective. They may pick one mentor and then that mentor just kind of happened to fit the situation that they were in and were successful. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, if we learn anything is situations and environments change and successful leaders are adaptable. Now, that doesn't mean that they are a chameleon, mm-hmm. um, but they are able to sense and respond. And one thing that we can do to help our leaders within organizations and more broadly in, in culture at large is by having some kind of way of providing some feedback so they can self-correct and develop. Very well said. And, you know, part of that uh, system or that environment that can create, um, you know, a situation in which people are more likely to give feedback, to receive feedback, it has to do a lot with the culture and climate of the organization. And in particular, in today's episode, we're focusing on this idea of a feedback environment, which is uh, kind of what it's referred to in a lot of the scholarly literature on this, and I think it's a really good way to think about it. But you can also think of this as a feedback culture. Uh, we're going to kind of use feedback culture and feedback environment synonymously in this episode. Uh, you know, you could also think of this as a coaching culture. Uh, this, the idea being that this is a, an environment in which people are giving good feedback, that they're receiving good feedback, and that it's actually useful for them with regard to their performance. Right. So a lot of this stuff comes from Paul Levy from the University of Akron. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul, if you happen to listen to the Indigo podcast, we'd love to have you on. Um, For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, given that he's he's not too far from where I am here in uh, Northeast Ohio as well, we might be able to make that happen. And, you know, um, so he's done a ton of research on performance appraisal and feedback in general, and this idea of a feedback environment. And, you know, one article, um, you know, that that he and some co-authors wrote um, a while back that I think is really helpful is this this article that was published in the um, journal Educational and Psychological Measurement, which he wrote. Um, so Lisa Steelman was the uh, lead author on that, and uh, she wrote this with Paul and Andrea Snell. And what what I like about this article is, so this was an article in which they were doing a study to try to develop a measure of uh, this idea of a feedback environment. And in psychology and in education and other types of social science, when you're trying to measure something via a questionnaire or a survey or a test, uh, one of the things you have to do is figure out what the heck you're talking about first, <laughs> right? You know, yep. and that, try. That would be a yeah. good idea. <laughs> yeah, and so we have a fancy phrase for that. We call that construct definition. You know, trying to say what is this thing? How is it distinct from other things that are like it? And then we then we try to come up with some ways in which we can capture that, maybe via some survey items. And we have a bunch of people take it. We look at the kind of the, the statistics around how people respond to that and other related things. And that gives us an idea of how we can measure things. It also gives us an idea of, of what this idea is. And so that's what they did in this article. Uh, and, you know, what, what's cool before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of this a little bit is, you know, they start off this article talking about how, look, feedback doesn't always work. You know, <laughs> yeah, because because you never listen, Ben. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how's that well, for that... some feedback? <laughs> oh, I, I, you uh... know, I dis- I disagree. <laughs> um, so you know, they talk about in this in the beginning of the article. They said they cite some research uh, suggesting that more than 38 percent of the the effects of feedback are actually negative. Right? Yeah, um, no wonder you know... people are scared of feedback. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if those are just not great odds. Um, 
And so, you know, just saying in an organization, we're going to give more feedback, we're going to do this more. Uh, well, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And this is frequently under, misunderstood. Uh, we need to be thinking a little bit more broadly about the context and the environment in which this occurs uh, so that we can minimize these negative outcomes of feedback, you know. So, for example, you know, if you give someone feedback in a way that that isn't um, appropriate, uh it can create a lot of defensiveness. It can actually make the person maybe double down on their current behavior because maybe, you know, if you, so for example, if you get some feedback from somebody who you don't really trust, uh, you know, you don't really think that they're a credible source, you're not going to do that. You're going to say, you know what, well, that person's all jacked up themselves. I'm not going to do what they said and I'm going to just keep, uh, keep doing what I'm doing or maybe even do it more. Right. <laughs> so, right. Or, uh, or maybe they're like, I don't like this and I have options and quit. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, feedback is a tricky thing. And this feedback environment piece, I think, is just so central to creating a good culture, as well as creating uh, if you want to have people who are actually coaching each other um, within an organization, it's very important. So let's get into this idea of this feedback environment. Again, um, I'm using that synonymously with feedback culture. And, uh, you know, this has to do very broadly. This is how they define it in the article, and I'm quoting uh, the contextual aspects of day-to-day sub- sub- supervisor, subordinate, and coworker, coworker feedback processes rather than uh, to the formal performance appraisal feedback session. So we're not talking about, you know, when you sit down with somebody getting your uh, formal performance review feedback, you know, maybe that once a year or maybe twice a year type thing where they say, here's, here's your piece of paper that we're going to send to HR and, and let's go over this. We're not talking actually about that. And we're actually focusing more exclusively on the um, the two different sources of feedback being your supervisor and your coworkers. Now, um, obviously, you know, feedback from subordinates, even if you're a leader and you have you know people working for you, you're a manager of others, uh, you know, that type of feedback really does matter, too. But just for the purposes of our conversation today, we're talking about uh, feedback from supervisors and feedback from other coworkers. Right. So, and this is like one of those negative or opposite type things. If you don't provide feedback in the day-to-day, that lack of provision of feedback is a type of feedback. <laughs> right? So like it is. if you if you just are if you're the supervisor and you're handing out tasks day-to-day and not telling anybody how they're doing on it, any of the deliverables they got to give you, and then you just wait for that formal performance review. No wonder you're nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you haven't practiced. You haven't built, well, some of the things we'll talk about, um, a quality moment. So that you have unintentionally curated a type of feedback culture, which is we don't talk about things around here. Right, right, right. right. Or we just kind of, you know... It, we just leave well, well enough alone. And maybe, you know, if, if no one says anything that I'm doing okay. And that's just, that's just not helpful, especially in a more turbulent, high, um, you know, a more dynamic environment, maybe where things are changing a lot. You've got to have some real-time feedback. Uh, I mean, so, and we can't blame them. I mean, 38% no. of the effects are negative. So <laughs> it behooves you to like, don't worry, there's hope. We'll get it to you by the end of the episode. I hope so. Right. So a couple different pieces of this feedback environment or culture um, include things like the source credibility, you know, whether or not you view uh, the supervisor who's giving you some feedback or your coworker who's giving you feedback, whether or not you view them as credible. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you just think about people, you know, hey, man, your .NET code stinks. Wait a minute. You don't even code. (laughs) (laughs) You even code, bro? Yeah, it it, it doesn't, uh, it's not credible, right? Do you trust that person? Are they competent themselves? Um, Do they even have any idea of like what you do on a day-to-day basis, right? Uh, that's, that's really important. So source credibility is part of it. The feedback quality, you know, is it something that's specific? Is it something actionable that I can do? Um, and, yeah, like, uh, Hey Ben, why don't you stink less at your job? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, uh, okay. How? Right. <laughs> or, hey, be, right. hey, you be more lucky next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or change, change your attitude. You know, you hear that sometimes and it's like, okay, I I hear you, but I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. Um, So the feedback quality matters. Another piece is the feedback delivery. So, you know, there's kind of the content piece about what you're saying, but also how you say things really matters, Um, you know, so that you're not building a wall of defensiveness with the person who you're uh, trying to give that feedback to. Right. Because, I mean, we we like to protect our, our own psyches. So when someone... Uh, starts to tell us something perhaps negative about us uh, or about our performance, it starts to kind of threaten our sense of uh, competence and our sense of worthiness and so forth. So Right, and, uh, and that's that actually depends on the feedback environment. Like if you have an active, we talk about stuff around here and it's all cool, mm-hmm. right? You, it has less of an impact on who you are, your identity issues, who you are as a person, and more like, oh, well, we need to do that. Um, you know, think about sports teams that are strategizing how to win. Hey, guys, we got to learn this new play to beat this type of team. Like, nobody feels offended. Oh, man, we we don't know that play. You know, they're like, great, mm-hmm. let's get into practice and start doing it. So, you know, that feedback culture will matter how this stuff is perceived. Right. So we talked about source credibility, the feedback quality, the feedback delivery. Uh, another thing that matters and is part of this feedback environment is the perceived frequency of both favorable and unfavorable feedback. You know, so oftentimes when we talk about feedback and performance at work, we, we oftentimes talk about uh, how to deliver that constructive criticism, you know, those areas for growth or whatever. Uh, but, but, and that's natural because that's kind of the, that's kind of the tougher part of, uh, of giving good feedback, but it's also important to remember that you got to give some feedback about what people are doing right. And, um, you should do that at least as frequently as you're doing stuff, you know, talking to them about things that you're, uh, that they're messing up. Right. Yeah. Don't just be a downer all the time. It's, it's not cool. And, if you can't think of positive things about people in your team, you might want to reflect on your own perspectives because there's always good stuff going on. Right, right. And you got to get over this idea. Sometimes I run across this with folks where they're like, you know what, I shouldn't have to tell people they're doing a good job because, you know, we pay them. And they, we show up, that's our thank you, we pay them. And I, I just think that is just, that, that's like, that's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you better it, it, add like a 40% premium over the industry standard to be yeah. as <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to come here but but I hate it so you got to pay me a whole lot more. And you know, that's just like a that's like a That's like an I mean, that's the exact century. Yeah. That's the exact opposite. You know, I I hate it here so you got to pay me a lot more. Uh you know, that's like the mirror reflection of which if an employee said like, "Hey, listen, I hate it here, so you need to give me a 40% raise." you'd be like, what, wait, what, you know, mm-hmm. 
and that'd really be obtuse. Um, but that's the same kind of thing. We don't have to give positive feedback because we pay people. It, right, it's the right. same thing. That's just a very 18th century way of thinking about management and leadership in my, in my view. Politely uh, said, Ben. <laughs> How 18th so, century of you. Oh, uh, yes. Um, Where's your wig? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what year is it? Um, so, you know, so that's definitely part of it. The perceived frequency of both favorable and unfavorable feedback. Another piece is source availability. So whether or not you can actually find your your gosh darn boss or, you know, that person is around. Um, you know, one challenge that I come across when I talk with, for example, MBA students and when I work with organizations, uh, you know, they oftentimes say, well, you know, my supervisor is, you know, located in Boston and I live in Cleveland or or something like that, right? And it, it can make it very challenging when you have these dispersed geographical situations. Um, but I, I still think that there are ways that we can get around that. It just takes some, a little bit more ingenuity, a little bit more effort on on probably both parts of, of that equation, you know, to have that communication flow, right? We, we do have things called phones. We do have things, uh, you know, <laughs> like video, video chat chatting, tools. Right? And yeah, there's a whole, we're, and we're a global environment for yeah. a lot of people in the workplace. This should not be, um, yeah. we I can mean, overcome it, this challenge. Exactly. So that's the source availability. And then the last piece of feedback environment or culture is whether or not the sources of feedback, either supervisors or coworkers, actually promote feedback seeking themselves. So whether or not they, um, you know, ask for feedback, kind of role modeling this behavior. Uh, and, you know, because that, that's part of this environment. Um, and you know, again, this runs contrary sometimes to people's implicit ideas around what leaders do, what leaders leadership is all about. Um, because, oh, well, why should I ask my subordinates for feedback? Well, you know what? That's that's probably the most important source of feedback, really, um, you know, because they're the ones who you're trying to influence. So, uh, you know, that that whether or not they promote feedback seeking is very important. It's part of this idea of feedback environment, feedback culture and coaching. Yeah. And, you know, I see lots of managers and leaders, they get so bogged down because, you know, they have strong deliverables that they've got to drive with the team. And sure. a whole bunch of something, and they'll be sitting in, clicking away, or the, you know, death by meetings is their normal Monday through Friday fare. And uh, an employee comes in the office and says, "Hey, you got so and so. How am I doing? Uh, you're fine. Um, could you close the door, please? You know, mm -hmm. right, right there, you've already started to curate. Like you're not interested in providing. So if you're a leader or follower, anybody within an organization, those times when there's a piece of feedback. Pause and hone in. You're about to get some gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. So let's turn now to our, our attention to a little bit about, you know, why this matters around, uh, you know, this idea of feedback and feedback culture or feedback environment. And, you know, we've already kind of covered this first one. It's just, you know, it's simply critical. It's a critical piece for getting people to accept and use the feedback. It has to be part of the culture. It has to be part of the norms, part of the way that we just do things around here. Uh, in order for people to see this as acceptable and useful. Um, and it doesn't have a huge emotional weight if you're just doing mm -hmm. it all the time. Yeah. Like, there's no emotional weight of going to get a coffee at the coffee machine, right? Mm -hmm. So there mm -hmm. should be no emotional weight to feedback giving all over the place. And one way in which I think that it can really uh, start to have less of that emotional weight is if you have those high quality relationships being built beforehand, 
you know? So for example, you and I, we work together on a daily basis and, you know, I, I know that we, you know, we have a good working relationship. Um, and so if you're, if you give me a piece of, of constructive or negative feedback, like it's not going to affect me like it would if, if it's someone who I didn't really know that well. Um, yeah. Cause I have because, no credibility. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but you, you actually, you have a lot of credibility and then the, you know, this, um, what I, what I always tell my students, what I tell managers I'm working with is I tell them, look, you know, if, if the person that you're going to give feedback to, if they, before you give the feedback, if they know in the marrow of their bones that you value their contributions and care about their well-being, and then you give them the feedback, then they're not going to, they're going to be a lot less defensive, right? Because that, that's, it's like layered on top of this fundamental piece of trust that you've already built, um, so, you know, another thing that they found in this study when they developed this measure of, uh, feedback environment, uh, in the article we already talked about, uh, you know, they found positive correlations between that and leader member exchange. So the high, the, you know, the quality of the relationship between the supervisor, very important, um, people's satisfaction with the feedback, uh, probably even more importantly, their motivation to use the feedback and right. their, uh, and, and whether or not they, they seek feedback themselves. So, I think that's some that's some quantitative evidence to suggest that this is a good thing and a useful thing for any organization that's trying to have people flourish. Right. We talk about all the time how you can't fake this stuff and really get anywhere. And it, yeah. you know, one of those rules of thumb, so to speak, or heuristics that you can use as an individual is you got to give a rip and be a person of character and integrity. So if you're mm -hmm. a manager who's not, right, you should be nervous about the feedback environment because you're, I don't know, you're like a <laughs> Trojan horse. I just see somebody with a badly put, in my mind's eye, right? I see somebody with a poorly done disguised sneaking mm -hmm. behind enemy lines, right? Yeah. That person's going to be super nervous because they're not, you know, they kind of don't belong there, right? And so if you're a manager that's just pretending at these things, it's not going to work well. You're probably going to be in that 38% where feedback goes poorly. Right, um, right. But that being said, if you are a person of a character, if you are a person of heart that really cares, it'll cover a lot of your trips and inevitable you know, slips and falls along the way to doing this well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is all part of what, Paul Levy and um, his co-author Jane Williams in a different article that was in the Journal of Management, uh, they talk about this in, in terms of the social context of performance appraisal. And, uh, you know, when we go back to the whole idea of formal performance appraisals, you know, one thing we know that is really important is how the person who's being rated, the ratee, how they react to it. This is very important. Important. Um, the feedback environment, the culture is key to all of this. And then, there, you know, the tools that we use, maybe some of the HR practices, this all matters as well. And I think we would argue um, that all of this around a feedback culture, a feedback environment, having people who coach each other on a regular basis, uh, this is really important for the overall healthy functioning of any team or organization. But I would say particularly for those that are dealing in more ambiguous or uncertain types of environments. Right. So... I guess like let's talk about what organizations can do to actually foster a feedback culture. You know, hey guys, we're sold. This sounds like a good idea. 
what do we do now? Sure. So I, I think it's important for us to just very briefly um, re-examine kind of what is organizational culture? Um, you know, how, how does it change? Because if you, let's say this is not part of our, your current DNA in your organization, and you want that to, to become part of your organization's DNA, well, let, then, then you need to think about it in terms of how organizational culture changes. So listeners may want to review our episode that really focused specifically on organizational culture and what it is and how to change it. And, uh, you know, we put a, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but what's organizational culture, Chris? Well, so uh, it's a whole lot of things. And most people say, hey, what's a culture around here? And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. what's kind of the, is it cool? Is it nice? You know, does it, there's actually some people have done some in-depth research. So culture has to do with the values that, um, that we have as an organization, the stories that get told, um, frames, toolkits, categories of way we think about and talk about organization. Um, these things help us figure out what's appropriate and what's not around here. Mm -hmm. you know, if if you're at some, some startup and you come in in a three-piece suit and everybody else is wearing flip-flops and t-shirts, you know, hey, <laughs> so, yeah. this guy didn't get the memo, right? <laughs> reminds me of that episode of The Office where uh, Jim walks in, he, he decides he's, I think they have a new boss and he decides he's going to wear a tuxedo to, to the office. And it's, it's, it's very, very funny, but it's, you know, kind of, it's exaggerating for illustrative purposes, but it's saying that, you know, um, culture helps us understand what is appropriate. Um, what's, what's the right thing to do around here? What's kind of expected and what's not expected in this organization. And this can vary a lot between different types of organizations. Right. And, you know, one of the things that you're generally concerned about when you come into a new organization, or if you're in an organization and just want to move up or into a different role, you got to know what being a good performer really means or you know mm-hmm. on the how do i get a superior block checked on my performance review so yeah you know people people go ahead oh i was going to say you know so a lot of times this is you know there's there's kind of what is expected in the organization and then how to get things done right are we are we an organization in which um people kind of make unilateral decisions about things or is this an organization in which we really need to have uh, attention to process and collaboration. Uh, those are aspects of culture um, that are really important. And if you mess these up, you're you're going to find yourself uh, not performing well. Right. And you know, all these organizations will develop a type of personality. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll see that in the way, you know, if you call into customer service at an organization, you can kind of get the, the personality of the organization if you have to uh, interact with their support on a regular basis. Right, right. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of this has to do with, you know, how people uh, talk to each other, how they greet each other, the rituals they use to recognize um, key moments and so forth. And this is really important uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons that culture is so important, and I think feedback culture, feedback environment, coaching all fits right in here, is this is critical for actually executing your strategy. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many CEOs or boards of directors have we sat with where they're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, we paid for our, this big strategy roadmap from McKinsey or whoever, and it's a great plan, but we just can't get any 
traction on this stuff, right? We're just mm-hmm. spinning our wheels in the sand here. Sometimes culture is the biggest, you know, gap in that having a good strategy and actually getting it done. Right, right. You know, the management guru, Peter Drucker, apparently once said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a little <laughs> bit of truth to that. Um, it's also important because these norms that you create in an organization, they can endure. These are things that get taught to newcomers. Uh, they get kind of woven into uh, organizational practices. They, they can be very important um, for how you attract, how you select, how you retain people in your organization. Uh, and that can have a, a, an outsized influence on uh, kind of the organization's performance and trajectory. Right. And the norms enduring is what makes changing culture um, a full contact sport, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good metaphor for it. And, uh, you know, a, a key part of, um, you know, having a good culture, because I think there are bad cultures, uh, a key part of this is avoiding the toxicity that can sometimes come into cultures where, you know, people are engaging in a lot of kind of politics and talking behind each other's back and gossiping and uh, being, you know, rude to each other and so forth. Uh, so, you know, and coming back to what we're trying to do here with Indigo Together and with this podcast, um, you know, this is a key part of human flourishing, having a, a positive, inclusive, um, you know, type of culture in your workplace. Right. So let's talk about how culture changes. Um, mm. Get into our episode. We do a deep dive on all that is culture change. But, um, you know, it, what are some of the ways culture changes, Ben? Well, so culture changes in a variety of ways. Uh, so I don't want to say there's one way in which culture changes because it's such a deep and complex thing. Um, you know, one way in which culture can change is it could be, and sometimes it is, through very small changes that add up over time. You know, there's this great um, article that was that came out a number of years ago in the Academy of Management Journal um, talking about radical change accidentally and, you know, how some small changes that maybe kind of happened at the grassroots level within the organization. They started doing some things differently and it really started to spread like this really positive virus in the organization and started to change the culture and what people actually did. So it can happen that way. Uh, it can also happen through more dramatic or intentional types of efforts uh, this has to be something that is, you know, uh, that you have some alignment among senior leaders on. It has to be something that is communicated. It has to be, uh, you know, a multi-year effort. Um, sometimes organizations will talk to us about organizational culture and they'll say, you know, uh, we want to change our culture. You know, how can you help us do that in the next 60 days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and is hey, you know, we always so- like think twice about those engagements right <laughs> right absolutely we do and and the there's reason no is magic wand there's no magic there, wand there isn't I, i'm sorry to report that uh but you know it, it's because any organization that has a certain culture and every organization has a culture um that culture has developed you know over time and so any kind of change is going to take some time because people get very habituated to those you know those ways of behaving and so forth uh so I think one way that we can also think about organizational change is looking back at some ways in which leaders embed the culture and ways they enact the culture in their organizations. And, uh, you know, this comes from some great work from Edgar Schein, who's kind of a legend in this whole area, one of these scholars. And, you know, part of this happens through, you know, how you um, approach hiring, 
how you onboard people in your organization, what kinds of values you're teaching at those very early stages, and uh, how you manage performance. That's very particularly relevant to today's episode with regard to feedback and coaching. Um, whom you promote, you know, that really says right. a lot about what's important in the organization, don't you think? Right. It's it's so key. Onboarding is not about getting your log on to your computer and getting an assigned office or cubicle <laughs> or something, right? right? I mean, you got to do that part too, right? But, mm -hmm. and especially for, you know, managers, senior managers, director, VP, all the way up the chain, um, they, they'll focus on, okay, who's, here's who you report to. Um, this is what, you know, you got to get this report out every Thursday. Here's HR. And they spend no time on the culture, you know, helping marinate them in the culture and values of the org. And right. so that's some of that. If you have a whole bunch of managers, well, let me back back. That's why nobody believes your value statement that you put on your website, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, maybe you just, maybe one person, maybe the entrepreneur founder or CEO mm -hmm. put something on there. Um, and then they just rando hire a bunch of people and managers and wonder why, why isn't our culture aligned with our values? Mm -hmm. Well, you've put a platitude on the wall. That's it. Right. So when you, especially with managers, but I mean, no, especially with everyone, <laughs> you gotta have this as part of your onboarding thing because immediately mm -hmm. they're going to start turning their attention and their eyes to, Hey, how do I get on board and aligned with these these feature process? Otherwise, right. you do get that radical change accidentally because you just mm -hmm. you just got whatever you got in the bag out of people you hired off of Indeed or whatever, you know? Right, right. You know, so if you think back to you know some of the the, the more dramatic onboarding processes that you and I have been through, like in the military. I mean, you go through any kind of officer training or any kind of boot camp. That's a very intense experience. And you learn a lot. And it's very intentional in the military about, you know, kind of what's appropriate, what's not, um, and, and how to interact with each other. And, you know, so if you were going to, for example, you know, look at this whole idea of feedback culture and coaching culture, it would probably need to start then, you know, or at, at those very early stages um, to really ensure that these types of ideas, these values, these skills are starting to be taught then. Um, because if you, you know, allow someone to enter the organization and then progress through, and this is not part of what they do, and then imagine that, oh, well, now you've been prom promoted, let's turn the switch now and turn you into this, you know, awesome feedback machine, that's not going to really work. Right. And, you know, if you've gone through one of those dramatic, intentional culture changing things and you actually got something going pretty good, every time you don't have an onboarding process that makes sure that you have that alignment, you're attacking that very thing that you spent so much time and tears developing. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, so you know, I think if we go back to what Edgar Schein talked about in terms of uh, you know, how you change culture, looking at some of the ways in which leaders embed uh, culture into the organization. Um, you know, I think we can kind of look at how these may apply to uh, the feedback culture, the feedback environment. So, you know, some of these embedding mechanisms, you know, how leaders react, for example, to um, organizational crises when things don't go right. You know, uh, I think about, for example, let's say, 
um, you know, you have the, the after action review after, you know, a project goes well or doesn't go well, <laughs> how, you know, how the leader really responds in that environment, that is huge for uh, feedback environment. Because if, if the leader is uh, not receptive to feedback, um, him or herself, or doesn't promote kind of a, an open conversation in that situation, then, you know, it's going to stifle the conversation is going to stifle the feedback and learning that really could occur. Um, right. You know, I, I think there also just needs to be some very deliberate role modeling, teaching and coaching around these things. Because if you're, uh, you know, trying to teach, uh, for example, giving good feedback, being good coaching skills, uh, this is more than just writing it down. You can write beautifully about it. And, you know, you, what you always say, uh, to clients and stuff is you, you can hand someone a book, book on boxing. Um, but that's different from being in the ring, you know, and right. I think you've, you've got to have those role models, right? So mm-hmm. you need to set up good role models in the org. You got to actually teach the stuff. And then there's gotta be coaching that, that, you know, you got to take a multifaceted approach if you actually want to develop these kinds of things. It does. Yeah. So, you know, another key mechanism is, uh, you know, how leaders recruit uh, others, how they how leaders are selected, who gets promoted, who gets, mm. you know, excommunicated from the organization, <laughs> right. how, how you deal with those types of things. You know, if you really want to value coaching and feedback, well, that should probably be part of your considerations, your criteria when you're thinking about what performance looks like for your your best leaders. Um, it also has to do, you know, with some of your systems and procedures, how you um, structure, for example, your formal performance appraisal system. Uh, you probably need to take into consideration how that either enables or constrains uh, this idea of a feedback environment. Um, yeah, if you're so, bringing in a consultant to look at that, make sure they provide evidence-based citations for why they're changing your performance review. <laughs> I think that's, that's very well I mean, everybody's said. got uh, a system that they're peddling, but, you know, just say, yep. great, what, what research is that based on, you know? Y- yes, yes, that's, that's very true. Um, you know, I, I think it's very important to embed any kind of ideas around feedback and coaching into your values, into what's expected of leaders, and then train them on it. You know, don't assume that people know how to do this. It's a, it's a fairly unusual thing in most organizations because we just haven't been, you know, used to this idea of of kind of feedback coming from many different directions. Uh, we may have those implicit ideas around what leaders do and what leadership looks like. Um, so maybe we could walk now through some of those different aspects of the feedback environment that we already talked about and, and, and kind of uh, suggest a few different ways in which organizations can change their culture based upon those, you know, so starting with uh, source credibility, what implication does that have for how organizations approach uh, all of this? Right. So, you know, you got to build some trust. Um, one of the ways a leader can do is, is, knowing what your people do. And I, I've seen this in some of the larger enterprise organizations. You know, the CEO comes out and says, hey, so what do you guys do around here? Yeah. And that just leaves this bad impression. So like, even if you don't know, maybe get a brief from one of your, you know, lieutenants <laughs> on so what do these guys do again? Right. So, but then that would be faking it, right? So actually know what your people do is one way you can build some trust uh, mm-hmm. and credibility. 
Sure. So in your leadership, your management training, I think emphasizing this idea of building trust, um, getting into the weeds and actually understanding what people do. You know, sometimes I think there's this, there's kind of an anti-micromanagement movement sometimes, right? Where it's like, oh, I don't want to get so involved in my people's business that they, uh, you know, think that I'm micromanaging them. Well, first of all, sometimes people do need to be micromanaged because they're not doing their work correctly. But let's set that to the side. Um, You know, micromanagement is different from being interested in what people are up to, you know, and, and, you know, actually understanding their challenges and establishing that rapport and that communication flow so that they feel willing to talk to you about how things are going and they feel willing to give you feedback and they're more receptive to it when you provide that feedback. So, you know, that's all, that all goes into this idea of source credibility. Um, And then there's this, this aspect of feedback quality, you know, Uh, so you've, you've got to give good feedback. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. At, at, you know, feedback quality means you have kind of a deep understanding of what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, because you can't get feedback with any nuance if you don't have a, a deeper understanding. You know, I've met some of these entrepreneur founders. You know, I'm thinking of um, one guy named Dean that he's built a really large organization that's global, but he can go out and run any of the machines in any of his plants. Wow. Like he knows it cold. So, you know, he can come in and just say, hey, Larry, why don't you take a two hour break, man? And I'm just going to run this machine for you for a couple of hours. <laughs> and it's amazing. But when other people out on the factory floor see the stinking CEO like doing some hit, his feedback quality is really high because he understands every piece of the organization. Now, that's one extreme example, mm-hmm. right? But like he knows the day to day of the factory. He knows why they plan and, and what their flow, their supply chain flow looks like and all that kind of stuff. So he's able to have super meaningful conversation. Um, and that leads us to another thing. It's like how you deliver the feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, one of the best models for this, I think, is to um, frame how you deliver feedback in terms of the situation. So be very specific about uh, kind of what the setting was for a particular behavior. So situation, that's that's the first part. Then behavior comes next. Talking about something that you actually observe, right? This this touches on both feedback delivery and feedback quality. Um, you know, Because when you start getting into the kind of hearsay about, oh, well, I heard this about you or whatever, that can be really tricky um, because people you know, start to get very defensive there. But, you know, talk about things that you saw, some things you observed. Uh, so situation, the behavior, and then the impact. Talk about what were some outcomes of that. You know, in the staff meeting yesterday, when you spoke up, uh, even though no one else really was uh, agreed with you, you know, so that's a situation uh, and the behavior. Uh, that was amazing. Right? Talk about the impact because it really helped to reinforce that we appreciate dissent in our team. Right? So that, that's, that's just an example of positive feedback using situation, behavior, and impact as a model. And that can be um, a good kind of framework for having these conversations. This needs to be trained, though. And I, I think this is another, you know, as I said before, you can't just hand managers the book unboxing with this. Uh, this is something that is learned through doing. And, you know, you, you can teach the principles in a classroom. You can help them understand kind of what's going on. But once they actually, they have to do it a number of times before they actually get good at it. And sometimes just providing that feedback and getting observed by somebody who's 
pretty good at it and getting then getting some feedback about how you give feedback that could be really helpful right that you know you got to train it and actually training uh the regular workers in your it's that not just mm-hmm. managers so if a new manager comes in and they start giving some feedback and the feedback's just garbage and you're like what is going on with this manager you know I just want to come in and work and this guy's a yo-yo or whatever. Um, You can uh, say, hey, listen, let's shift this feedback and let's use the situation behavior and impact model here. You know, so what was the situation again? Okay. And then what was the behavior you saw? And what was it? You know, you can actually coach up and it'll help people, you know. I think it's really important. I, I, I mean, I think that that's even more important than than maybe you're you're emphasizing here. But can I mean, just imagine an organization in which it's truly part of the DNA, the culture, in which people, regardless of their level, let's say they get some feedback and it, it it's not framed in a good way or not helpful way, they have the uh, you know the the chutzpah, the they have the, well, the training to, and tools. They've got the, they have training, the training and, and tools. tools, right? It's part of the culture, and they have this training and skills to then go to the manager and say, "Hey, you know, I really appreciate you're giving you some feedback. Can I can I help you? Um, you know, I'd like to understand this a little bit more. And here's a, a one way in which it can be really helpful for us. I, I just think that 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 is a really productive way, and it's not like a, uh, it's not done as a, like a slap in the face or a kind of a, a challenge to someone's authority, but it's done in a very helpful way. Um, I, I just think that that's amazing. So, you know, that's, that's part of this feedback delivery piece and kind of how you can start to change the culture there, um, doing some training around these types of activities. And then, you know, uh, looking at favorable and unfavorable feedback, part of the training also should include that, hey, this is not just about negative feedback. Uh, it's about, right. you know, the frequency of, of both favorable and unfavorable feedback. Um, because we know that, you know, if, if you wait a long time before you give someone feedback, it just loses its, its uh, relevance. You know, if I, if I, <laughs> you've been screwing this up for a year, but I thought I'd mention it now. Right. Oh, God, I see that all the time. It is, oh, it just, it feels icky. It's, it feels unfair and people generally don't react well to that. Yeah, and if you're doing that, stop. Yep, <laughs> give absolutely. feedback regularly, right? <laughs> Which means that uh, don't hide in your office. Yeah, right. So the source of yeah, being available is very important. So another key piece of a feedback environment, as we already discussed, is a, is source availability. So don't hide in your office. Get out there among your people. Um, have these meaningful conversations about performance. Uh, you know, I, I, sometimes even structural mechanisms like you know having a norm around, Hey, we do after action reviews after, uh, different types of, um, you know, different, maybe projects. We delivered a project to a client. Let's talk about what went well and what didn't go well. So we are more helpful to other clients. Yeah. So sometimes you, sometimes you see this in environments that are maybe using something kind of like scrum, like this is kind of the retrospective, right? You got it. And then, you know, so as a supervisor co-work, you know, do you promote feedback seeking yourself? Mm. Right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You mean that as a manager, I actually have to change my behavior and I have to ask people for feedback too? Well, I guess it depends <laughs> on the culture, Ben. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and you can usually tell if someone's being honest about this. Um, you know, I want your feedback. I really use it. And then, you know, the first time someone actually does it, you you, you really need to have a good reaction 
um, to that and be appreciative of it, even if it's kind of off the wall or whatever. Because if you start to shoot the messenger on that, then guess what? You're not going to get any more feedback ever again. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's organizations. So kind of talk about what is a feedback culture and and we've talked about what can organizations do to shape and and curate this. Now let's talk about the individual leaders within an organization and individual leaders can be managers and they can be you and me, regular employees, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. Sure. Um, Because, you know, the, the word leader and the idea of leadership uh, is not something that is tied to a title, right? This right, is, and, uh, and I, I also want to talk to the um, if you're an executive or an HR or somebody with a large impact in the organization, realize that the leaders in the middle of the org can only do so much without your support, training, all those things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Their hands are tied. So I know sometimes when we do individual executive coaching, they're like, "Okay, what can I do to change this?" And if their hands are tied, you know, they, if you're smart, you're not going to just struggle pushing a rock up a hill that is too heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've got to support this if you're HR or the exec. Anybody with that large organizational impact needs to curate this. So anyway, mm-hmm. let's let's go to, if you're an individual person, what can you do? Sure. So I think the first thing that you can do, and this is all, again, around building that coaching feedback culture, that environment in which people uh, can, you know, give good feedback, and that it's something that is uh, expected and supported and rewarded in the organization. The first thing is, you know, work towards creating a team that is psychologically safe, right, where people can take these interpersonal risks uh, and say something that maybe isn't popular, um, and really make it an environment in which feedback is both expected and rewarded. So this will take some time because sometimes, in especially depending on the the current culture, it can be uh, a big change. You know, if you come into if you're the the manager and you come into a situation where maybe this is not the norm, first time you you know ask for feedback, it may be like, wait, what? You want us to tell you something about your performance or or something like that? Um, but the first time people do it, you need to really recognize, hey, that's exactly, you know, I really appreciate you telling me this, um, you know, let, let's talk about this further, et cetera, uh, so that you can continue building that norm within the team. Yeah. And if, if you've curated this norm and done a really good job, um, realize that other people that you hire into your organization it may not have been an environment ever that had that, right? Right. So when you onboard them, like letting them see some feedback, you know, like it happens all the time in a scrum environment. Hey, so this is our retro and how it goes. You know, mm. let people see some of those things and make that as part of their onboarding so they can feel okay when they're not used to that kind of psychologically safe place where feedback gets thrown around. You know, another thing that you can do is really ask people for feedback on your own performance. Uh, And, you know, this is helpful for two reasons. One, it's helpful because it may give you some information that's useful for you to improve how you lead the team. But it also is helpful because it helps you role model what other people should be doing. It's promoting that feedback seeking within the environment. And so, you know, ask people for their feedback and, and really listen when they give it to you. 
Um, uh, cause that, that's, that's very helpful. You know, I'm, I'm reminded oftentimes of this one time that I, I got some great feedback. This was early in my military career. I was just a 22 year old kid trying to run a, a team of electricians on a, on a guided missile destroyer in the Navy. And, uh, you know, I had a, a senior, uh, a senior enlisted person. So he was, you know, junior to me in rank, but had been in the Navy probably about as long as I'd been alive. Um, and you know, he pulled me aside once and he said, Hey, like you're doing a great job. You're one of the best, uh, division officers I've had. Um, but I want to give you some feedback on this one particular thing. And he proceeded to give it, give me a feedback and said, you know, part of your job is, is X, Y, or Z. And, and man, like, first of all, I didn't realize how good at delivering the feedback he was in the moment, um, because he didn't make me defensive. You know, it was, it was one of these things where he, uh, I could tell it was coming from a good place. And he really wanted me to succeed. And he gave me this piece of advice and told me, you know, something that I need to consider. And it, it really did change my approach. And I think, you know, my reaction to that was like, hey, thanks a lot for telling me this. I really appreciate it. And then I, I did change my behavior um, based upon his feedback. And, and it was very helpful. So, you know, asking for feedback and actually um, taking action is very important. And this goes to another point. I think, you know, building that trust and credibility with your team is so important. So people throw around this idea of like fixed mindset, growth mindset, and I've seen managers avoid doing the feedback because, they're, well, you know, people never change. And <laughs> that that's just not true. Um, mm -hmm. People are always seeking to improve themselves. I mean, yeah, there's probably some stick in the mud that that's not, but generally, even the ones that are playing the stick in the mud game, right, mm -hmm. that they want to be um, in that broader cultural context, part of the team, part of the organization, um, those, those kinds of things. So feedback enables that growth and in individuals. Um, maybe it won't be 100%, but it, it'll get you somewhere. Right. You know, another thing that you can do is you could actually start to kind of change some things around the structure in your team, you know, the, the way in which you meet the things you talk about. And so you, know, you can institute and maybe even advocate for some of these structural changes or tools that can be really helpful. So for example, you know, the, uh, the, the sprint retrospective, um, which is, you know, an opportunity for a team to come together and talk about, you know, how they can improve what they do. Um, after action reviews, you know, having these be mandatory, that can, that can be helpful. Now this does take some time, right, Chris, for it to be right. done well. It's, yeah. <laughs> so everybody thinks, you know, or, the organization is all set up to where 100% of people's time are spent doing work or going to meetings about work. Yeah. Um, they don't take time <laughs> for training. They don't take time for onboarding. They don't take time for quality feedback. And so it just, it doesn't really happen. And, and that's one of the things I like about the kind of scrum liturgy, which is having that sprint review, sprint retrospective. Um, it happens all the time. And eventually, mm. if you have it set up and you as a leader insist that it happens every time, you know, you may get some platitudes the first few times. Oh, we could do better at um, throwing out our coffee cups or something, right? You know, eventually out of boredom, people will start saying real stuff. <laughs> but it'll be like dipping your toe into ice cold water, right? They'll do it very, okay, well, this really bothers me in our weekly or monthly work cycle, you mm -hmm. know, let's maybe we could change this, or maybe this would be an improvement. And if, if that brings us to like the next thing, you got to actually act upon that feedback. Mm -hmm. So if somebody ventures something out there, 
and you act upon it, well, that changes the culture and the paradigm. And eventually out of boredom, people start giving more stuff. And then it's not boredom. People are, you know, seeking to improve actually. Right, right. So another thing that you could do as an organization to help those individual leaders is to provide some reading materials, provide some resources, some videos maybe about the literature on all of this. Uh, you know, this can help uh, you. It can help people uh, within the organization all around you build a common understanding about what right looks like. You know, it can help to help people understand this is the way in which we are going to act as an organization. Right. Don't assume like knowledge or skill around this stuff. You know, the communication is really <laughs> hard. And if you want it to be done better, provide some training on this stuff. I mean, 38% is a horrible percentage for feedback to go negatively, right? right? You know, you're trying, if somebody ventures actual feedback, they're trying to improve something or change something. So let's give everybody within the organization the tools to do this well. Sure, sure. And, you know, if our podcast is helpful, um, you know, maybe that's a resource for you and for other people in your organization. Uh, you know, you may even like to listen, you know, sometimes these performance conversations are difficult conversations. And so we have a, another episode that we recently did on difficult conversations, and we put a link to that in the show notes, but um, that might be helpful because it's definitely related to this idea of creating a a culture, a climate, an environment that is conducive to high quality feedback coaching within the organization. Right, Ben. So let me just recap. So today um, we talked about what is a feedback culture and why does it matter? Uh, we talked about what an organization can do to foster that feedback culture. And then we wrapped up with what individual leaders can do to foster that feedback culture. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.